for the rest of you who live in Thyatira, I say, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the deaths of Satan, as they say. So now the Lord addresses all those Christians in Thyatira who did not accept the polluted teachings of the woman Jezebel. All of you who do not know those things that they claim to know, the so-called deep things of wisdom, which are nothing but the deep secrets of Satan. Under the name Jezebel, my friends, we must also include another category of faithful, who much like the illumined of last week's lesson, they stay in the church, they attend church, receive Holy Communion. However, their activities, as far as the faith goes, are totally irreconcilable with the teachings of the church. Let's not forget that the woman Jezebel in the epistle of the Lord to the bishop of Thyatira is of a Gnostic background. Because in this epistle, the Lord says, She teaches and deceives my servants to commit fornication and eat food sacrificed to idols. Consequently, Jezebel has a Gnostic background. Remember when we dealt with the Nicolaitans, who were also of a Gnostic influence. The important thing here is that the so-called false knowledge or the things falsely called knowledge, as the fathers described, the ancient church fathers and St. Irenaeus, this knowledge is labeled by Christ satanic. And the Lord now addresses all those who are closely connected with the bishop, and they have stayed true to the healthy teachings, and they were not indoctrinated, as the heretics would claim, in deeper knowledge and wisdom. And in reality, demonic knowledge and demonic wisdom, satanic. These heretics were speaking about the depths of their wisdom was an exclusive wisdom, secretive knowledge, and an approachable and untouchable wisdom to the infidels, to the unsacred and uninitiated. And since the secret work of lawlessness is constantly at work, according to St. Paul, even today, especially today, in our days, an offspring of Gnosticism is Freemasonry or simply Masonry. Masonry is a Gnostic heresy. Surely enough, the books of the Masons call all of us, the non-Masons, defiled or unsacred. They claim to have the light, the illumination, and the initiation of the depth of knowledge, the depth of wisdom, the depth of philosophy, which we are ignorant of, as they claim. Therefore, Freemasonry is no less than a natural descendant of ancient Gnosticism. It can be classified as Neo-Gnosticism, if you will. I may have referred to Masonry so many times and I may be at risk of being labeled as somewhat of an anti-Masonic psychotic. My friends, this is not the case. Masonry is a contemporary reality which affects everyone and everything in our times. And it is certainly not a good strategy to underestimate the capabilities 
of the enemy. In order to successfully fight an enemy, we cannot underestimate his power. And masonry is powerful. It is the power of Satan. And this is precisely why we're always fighting and we'll always be fighting, continue to fight as long as we live against Freemasonry. Do not be misled by the fact that it has no public life, no publications, no lectures, no recruiting agendas, no open advertising. It works secretly. Masonry is Gnosticism. And this is precisely what we will try to show today with God's help. We will prove that masonry is of a Gnostic dimension. We will see this by using the official documents of masonry, their own documents, which we happen to have in our possession. Once we prove this, then their doctrine will be included in this very letter of the Lord to the Bishop of Theatira, who condemns the woman Jezebel. Jezebel is the perpetrator of this foreign doctrine which comes to deceive and mislead the servants of Christ. And since Christ condemns her, it only stands to reason that he also condemns masonry. We need to prove this, and I must ask you, my friends, to give me your undivided attention to see and learn how the masons themselves define their philosophy. We will do this directly and not indirectly. Even though it is more than obvious, I repeat, masonry is Gnosticism. And once we show this, then the case is closed. Was Gnosticism, it is under the condemnation of the church once and for all. Because Holy Scripture has written against Gnosticism. St. Paul to Timothy and Peter in his Catholic epistles. They both write against Gnosticism. It is not surprising that the Church Fathers fought Gnosticism with an unparalleled vengeance because it fought the Church with the same vengeance. But because Gnosticism may not be familiar to all of our listeners, I will simply say a couple things about it, even though I have done so a number of times in the past. In just a few words, we could say this. In reality, Gnosticism happens to be a religious philosophy. It accepts a God, a world, and a human being. It accepts certain relations between God, the world, and men. It looks at the world with a double vision of good and evil. So it sees good and evil in the world, and it states the good in the world must be the work of the good God. And what is evil in the world must be the work of the evil God. Consequently, God is not one, but two. Or two persons. God consists of two personalities. Or simply two gods. Please keep in mind that there are great variations within Gnostic philosophy. Great variations. Great differences between the Gnosticism of Marcion and Gnosticism of Vasiliadis, and many others, and they all have their own idiosyncrasies. But all of these, all of these different Gnostic systems maintain, maintain 
the basic foundation of dualism, the existence of two gods, the good God and the evil God, the good God who creates good and the evil God who creates evil. They're always in war against one another, and in the midst of this battle, man is always the unfortunate victim. Man is forever struggling to become free from the evil God. In their final analysis, Gnostics believe that man always hopes for such a deliverance. He lives within nature. In a way, he does not believe in a, an omnipresent God, even though he considers God invisible, but in reality, not above time or space. And Gnosticism strives to borrow many elements from outside because Gnosticism in itself is an empty and naked philosophy. It does not have anything by its own merit. So it takes from whatever every human philosophy has to offer and whatever the mystical religions have to offer. Orphism, Eleusinian mysteries, Hermetism, the Thrice Grand Hermes, uh, the Eastern Mysteries, Sabelli, the Mysteries of Osiris, and Isis, these are ancient Egyptian mysteries. It has used elements from all these. It has taken elements from Judaism and from Christianity. Gnosticism has made a philosophical mixture of all these, and it offers this as its own. The danger behind Gnosticism is that it does not deny Christianity officially. And here's the danger. Now, if someone tells me, I don't agree with you, I deny your beliefs. You are my enemy. I understand this, and I keep my distance. However, when you hide and you don't show any denial, you move about, you exist, breathe and slither inside the church. You take Holy Communion, you attend church, but you are an enemy and estranged from the body. And here's the danger because we will plainly see this in the Freemasons. They take Holy Communion, they may be on a parish council, they're always in church, and they will use this to their advantage if someone would question them. They respond, yes, I'm a Mason, but I'm also a good Christian. I come to church, I take Holy Communion, I, lo I love my brothers. This is not to their advantage, but to their detriment. It is most unfortunate. This is the predicament of the woman Jezebel who moved freely inside the church of Theatra, and she happens to be the typology of the contemporary Gnostics and Masons, as she was for the ancient Gnostics as well. But as I promised, we will begin to expose some of their documents and their own literature, and we will notice that inside their lodges, and in their booklets, a central position is reserved for the letter G, which is often placed inside a star. In the Greek lodges, the third letter of the Greek alphabet is used, the letter gamma. In the Latin languages, the letter G is used, which can be placed in the center of a star, or it can be inside this very common figure, which you often see on the welcoming signs of every city and every small town a blue sign 
and in the center of the sign they use the letter G enclosed by the configuration of a square and on top of the square like the square of uh, the two of the builders and on top of this 90 degree angle tool they place a protractor open at about 45 degree uh, a 45 degree angle and this is the most popular sign of the masons in this country you see it on the rings of uh, bankers maybe some of your attorneys and on the lapels of judges and also on the temples of Freemasonry as you drive around. Now, the square and the protractor are not as commonplace as we think. The symbolism around this figure is very rich and multi-sided. I will only tell you some of the most basic symbolisms, uh, I think. The square on the bottom with a right angle is the symbol of matter. And on, on top, the protractor, opened at 45 degree angle, symbolizes the spirit. So the symbolism pertains to spirit over matter. Dualism. How can the spirit subdue matter? Keep in mind, my friends, that Christianity does not accept two godly sources. There are not two gods. God made the heavens and the earth and the things of the earth. There is nothing that has not been created by the one God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. The word of God created everything. So it is not possible to have contradictions in the words of God. How is it possible to have good and evil work against or go against these very objects or creations of God? If evil exists in the world, this is not a consequence of dualism. It is the consequence of the interference and interaction of free-willed logical beings, the devil being the first. This explains the introduction of evil. And after this free-willed decision to rebel against God, the harmony of nature was shaken. This is how our faith explains evil. And not that, that it is some creation of an evil God or the one God in a state of contradiction or disharmony between spirit and matter. So there's really no such disharmony because the infinite spirit, God the eternal spirit, creates the material world. How could this material world then be in opposition to the existence of God? Why would God oppose something that he creates. How is this possible? The heavens proclaim the glory of God. How is it possible for the material heavens, the created heavens, to turn against God? Never. The body will resurrect and the body will be saved. Matter will be saved and this is inconceivable for the followers of Gnosticism. Inconceivable. They believe that matter is something bad. Therefore, the protractor rules it over the square, which represents matter. However, matter, being the square, is represented by a 90-degree angle showing fullness of expression. 
However, the protractor is open at 45 degrees, which shows that the human spirit, because it has not mastered complete control over matter, it needs to struggle to succeed in this control over matter or the body. Inside this configuration, full of symbolism, we have the letter G. The Masons are somewhat disappointed that they do not have an international letter to be commonly recognized by all the nationalities and all the languages of the world. So they end up using the letter of the Latin alphabet G since many languages have a Latin or Greek root. With the letter G, we have the name God. So this G of the Freemasonry means God. Please keep this in mind. On this, the English Mason poet Barnes writes, this hieroglyphic brilliance, which cannot be seen by anyone else but Mason brothers, he calls this letter G a hieroglyphic brilliance. And the light shed by this letter G can only be seen by the faithful and by the brothers of Freemasonry. According to Planacenetet, this G originates from the Hermetic philosophy, which delves into magic. A prominent Mason by the name of Dalko, in one of his talks, has stated, the letter G which decorates the lodges does not only express the name of the great architect of the universe, the God of Masons, but at the same time, it also expresses the science of geometry. According to Lenhoff and Posner, the meaning of this Masonic G is God, geometry, generation, and gnosis. Gnosis in the Greek language means knowledge, and I am purposely pronouncing it as a gnosis. Actually, in the English language, the G is not pronounced, so it would be gnosis. And this word gnosis can be found unchanged in all the languages of the world. All the Gnostics of the world maintain this Greek word gnosis in their vocabulary regardless of language. So this G can be seen in the center of a star or between the configuration of the protractor and the square as we explained earlier. And now since we saw the meaning behind this G, now let's run ahead to the indoctrination of the 12th degree so we can see what this means to the Masons. And I will read from their own manuals. We happen to have their books. So I will read. I will read directly from their publications and I will stop and make a few comments. And here we go back to the 12th degree of Masonry. The worshipful master takes off the hood of the candidate they place on the floor a screen on which a big five-ray star is painted with a letter G in its center. The Grand Master turns to the candidate who is awaiting to be initiated in the 12th degree. The candidate is called by a symbolic name called Moaban. This is not a permanent name, but only symbolic standard for this 12th degree initiation. So Moaban 
in order to prove to us that you have gained full understanding of our teachings, tell us what is the meaning of this mysterious letter, or what is the meaning of the G inside the star in front of you? The Moaban, or the candidate, answers, geometry, generation. The Grand Master replies, very well, but be informed that it also means gnosis. You answer well, but I would like to add to what you said. It also means gnosis. And now the manual proceeds to give a full and quite lengthy explanation of the doctrine of gnostics. And the Grand Master explains some of the main points to the candidate about this concept of gnosis. We will only touch on a few of the points that the Grand Master presents to the candidate. And I read, Gnosticism, my great and beloved brother, is the sum of some teachings which played a great role in the spiritual and ethical history of humanity. The word gnosis, a Greek word, must be understood to mean the opposite of faith. Pay attention here. During the first centuries of human ignorance, the Gnostics came forth as great and worthy developers and cultivators of progress. The object of faith was dogma from Revelation, along with a number of supposedly historical events. In a nutshell, all this represented the false knowledge of the Christian masses. On the contrary, Gnosis was only for the elect few. The purpose of this was the research and the inquisition of the prevailing ideas, including their initial beginning and the formation of the new philosophy. Please allow me to make a comment here on this particular point. Gnosis, they say, comes to turn against the faith established by revelation of supposedly historical events. Do you know, my fellow Christians, what they are referring to here? By supposedly historical events, the Freemasons mean the incarnation, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Christ. He calls them supposedly historical. So with the Old Testament, we have some events like the revelation of God on Mount Sinai and the prophets. With the New Testament, we have a revelation of a number of subjects which can become known and understood only through the element of faith. Here the Grand Master says, we are opposed to this. We do not want the factor of faith. We only want the factor gnosis. Those of you who can understand before I proceed, hopefully you can see how demonized these people are. We have the exact approach used by the devil, the ancient serpent, the thrice-cursed devil. He told Eve, your eyes will be open and you will have knowledge. Up to this point, Adam and Eve were grounded on faith, on what God told them. You will not eat from that fruit, and that's final. They believed it, and the subject was closed. Now the devil comes to influence them to reject this foundation of faith by the slanderous remark, God told you this because he's jealous of you. 
because he does not want you to become gods. And when you taste this fruit, then you will, will no longer need faith, but you will have knowledge. Your eyes will be open. Doesn't the Holy Scripture says your eyes shall be open and you will know good from evil? Do you see who is the one who rejects faith and introduces this new knowledge? The devil. This is extremely clear. This very thing, the preference of knowledge over faith, this always existed. But in these latter centuries, after the Middle Ages, and in our days, this is called rationalism. And rationalism demands that for something to be accepted, it must be understood. Or unless my mind understands something, I cannot accept it. This is it. So faith is not useful to me. I only need knowledge. I will accept whatever I can observe and understand by my own mind. But this is preposterous. How is it possible to reject the existence of anything only because I cannot understand it? There are so many things that we do not understand, so many physical phenomena, and this is even more true in the spiritual and metaphysical areas. Some of these things will never be understood by the small brain matter of men. And I continue, and furthermore, Gnosticism claims that the purpose of this knowledge was the research and the study of the prevailing ideologies, including their initial beginning and the constitution of new philosophy. It may help to know that Gnosticism preceded Christianity by three centuries, and it stayed at its greatest peak for another three centuries, after Christ, and its last remnants remain up until the 6th century. But in reality, Gnosticism lives on. It lives through Freemasonry. However, the Gnostics were claiming that they have the new philosophy. The philosophy that they proclaimed did not go unnoticed by St. Paul, who got a hold of it and gave them the answer. Listen how St. Paul answers the Gnostic philosophers. St. Paul addresses this issue in his epistle to the Colossians. Listen to what he says, and now you may be able to understand the meaning of this verse. Colossians 2, chapter 2, verse 8. Be aware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. You see this? Be aware that no one influences you and takes you off course through philosophy. What philosophy? What type of philosophy? Gnosticism. This is the philosophy spelled out by St. Paul. What does he call this philosophy of Gnosticism? Empty deceit. In reality, my friends, masonry as well is an empty megalomania, empty to the bone, totally empty, and according to traditions of men. If you read some of their materials, their initiation rituals, their theory of masonry, you will see that it is all a product of human imagination. They thought all these things, they created all these rituals, and they built this most idiotic fabrication. When he says, according to the principles of this world, St. Paul 
is using their own words because they were speaking about principles or elements. So St. Paul uses their terminology when he says, according to the principles of the world and not according to Christ. I must also tell you that even on verse 9, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead, the word fullness is also agnostic term. And they were using it to mean the entity that fulfills the space between the good God and matter. The fullness of the space between the good God and matter was fulfilled by 30 different gods. The first god was the good God and the creator of spirits, while the 30th god was the creator of matter. This 30 god span or hierarchy they called fullness. Now, St. Paul uses their own terminology, and he gives it Christian meaning. He Christianizes their terminology, and he says, In Christ himself, for in him dwells all the fullness. There are no intermediate gods between some good God and an evil God. Christ is all. Christ is everything. Christ is the fullness, St. Paul says. The fullness of godliness. There are no other gods. The fullness of godliness bodily, bodily. He became man. Now, do you see how St. Paul answers the Gnostics of his day? If St. Paul would be living today, but then again, St. Paul is here with us in his epistles. He would be saying the same things about the phenomenon of the Masons. And his spirit would grieve seeing that baptized Christians fall prey to the Masonic logic. And now we continue with the instruction manual of the 12th degree of the Masons. The teacher continues to instruct the initiate, the unfortunate initiate, I should say. The struggle between the simple Christians and the Gnostics started immediately. The Gnostics were powerful due to the spiritual superiority. As you can see, they thought very highly of themselves. They had this air of superiority, and even to this day, the Masons consider us as profane and impious and unsacred. However, when they've referred to a spiritual superiority, they are referring to their deep things, the deep things that the Lord grants and reveals are satanic. And the teacher at the lodge continues. Therefore, the simple minds needed to fall victims to the acts of this hateful, strange religion, and here they mean Christianity, an enemy of the free research, the free researchers. And these are the people of knowledge. By the way, don't forget that the lodges are called workshops. And in these workshops, the philosophical studies and research take place. By the way, the uh, word Mason can be deceiving. Don't think for a second that uh, you know the Masons in their lodges, they have building tools, hammers, chisels, nails, vice grips, and, and uh, the like. The teacher continuing his initiation says, and pay attention here, the most significant characteristic of Gnosticism is the doctrine 
of a two-person God. To the Gnostic, God has two persons. This knowledge takes into consideration two origins, good and evil, or better yet, spirit and matter, another expression by which these two persons or origins reveal themselves. So godliness has two forms. We could visualize body, a body, with two faces, one good and one evil, somewhat of a two-faced God, or two gods. According to Gnostic thought, the teacher continues, God is a supernatural being, invisible, and made manifest by two totally opposite qualities. One of these two qualities or faculties, the creator or the architect of the universe, created the earth and fashioned men. Unfortunately, the other faculty also took part in this creation, and the other faculty of godliness, an enemy of the search of good. And why is that? Gnosticism does not give any explanation. It has no answers. It simply limits itself to the acknowledgement of this unquestionable fact, unquestionable to them, being that good and evil coexist in nature, and therefore the second participates in the creation of the world. Truly, my friends, Gnosticism has never succeeded to solve the problem of the source of good and evil. And this is true. They don't know how to approach it. They cannot answer it, so they don't answer it at all. You see how and why they fabricate all these myths to try to explain a few things. And the teacher continues, but the Gnostics hope and the Freemasons after them also hope. So here, the Masons call themselves the natural descendants of the ancient Gnostics. So here, this is very obvious. There's no room for doubt whatsoever. So the Freemasons hope that a higher spirit will free humanity someday from the yoke of matter. So the Masons do not believe that Christ is our deliverer, but Christ did not come to deliver us from matter. And here comes the knockout punch to the Gnostics. God is not opposed to matter or the body, but the eternal spirit became matter. He took on a human body. He became men, and he came to save and deliver this matter, and not to deliver us from matter. Do you see now, my friends, the destructive positions of these heresies? Yesterday, I was listening to a religious program on the radio between 7 and 7.30 at night, and at some point, uh, I only listened for about five minutes, some point towards the end, uh, one of the commentators who was speaking about funeral services and souls and the place of the soul, and he happened to mention that the souls go back to their original place where they came from. What place? And where is this soul center place that emails souls back and forth? This is an ancient Greek delusion. This is a platonic falsehood. Souls do not pre-exist. But what can someone say in this world of terrible delusion? 
So getting back to the Masonic ritual, the Masons hope for a higher and superior spirit uh, to free humanity from the yoke of matter. And this hope is a simple hope or a feeling of progress. Hopefully, the future will give the answer to this question. However, progress, this slow influence of the spirit, which will save humanity, must be helped by the human effort and especially from the Masons. Regardless of what the Christian leaders say, popes and patriarchs, that is, Gnosis, was never a heresy, but the philosophy of Christianity is a heresy. This is terrible. They call Christianity a heretical philosophy. If Gnosis did not live on, at least it was instrumental in the deterioration of the other religions, on the tombs of which Christianity founded its dynasty. And from this we see the hope of the Masons or Neo-Gnostics, their hope to destroy all religions and especially Christianity and Orthodoxy. And the teacher continues his initiation. Gnosis, or knowledge, came at a time of a universal collapse of beliefs and ideas. This is true. It did well with the polytheists and idolaters. It stated to them that you no longer have a philosophy of religion. You're only left with mythology and skepticism. So Gnosticism rendered these systems useless. To the Jews, it taught their revelation is incomplete since it only springs forth from only the one divine person being the work of a single source. So you don't know the ultimate being and you don't know how to interpret his law. A proof of this serves the fact that you are still awaiting a Messiah to deliver you from your estranged and deteriorated civilization. Simply put, since you speak about one God, your revelation is incomplete, because God is also the evil God. The proof of the existence of the evil God is that you are expecting a savior to save you from evil. What evil? Nature. Do you see how they place their thoughts? Now to the Christians, Gnosis was saying, your leader was the highest manifestation of genius. This is true. But the apostles did not understand his teachings and their disciples alter their writings which were left to them. Therefore, Christianity is useless because it does not represent what Christ taught. According to them, Christ was a great Gnostic and a great Mason. This is precisely why Freemasonry, the only true religion, having assumed the work of Gnosticism, will succeed to destroy the false religion starting from the Roman heresy. By this, they mean the Church of Rome because these lodges are in Western Europe and their obvious enemy was the Church of Rome. For years, the Western European Masons overlooked Orthodoxy. They always attacked Rome, especially when Orthodoxy was enslaved by the Turks, the Ottoman Empire. But now they are very aware of Orthodoxy 
and they are not very happy that it has lasted for 2,000 years. They want to destroy Orthodoxy and Christianity as well. So Masonry took the mission of Gnosticism, and as Christians, we will fight against Masons because you, the Masons, are under the name of Jezebel, and we will continue to fight against you. My friends, this is what they write in their instruction manuals, and you clearly saw that they are children of Gnosticism. I've told you this many, many times, and I'm going to continue to repeat it. Masonry is Gnosticism. And having been given this opportunity from the book of the Revelation, I especially underline this. We must also add that Gnostics used to worship Cain. They're followers of Cain. They also venerated Canaan, the grandson cursed by Noah, Esau, who did not get Isaac's blessing, Koreh, who rebelled and spoke back to Moses, Bathram and Abiram, these are the people that argued with Moses, and the earth opened up and swallowed them. All this in the Old Testament. They also venerate all of the above peoples you mentioned, but especially from the New Testament, they venerate Judas the Iscariot, who betrayed the Lord. They looked at the betrayal as an act of philosophical virtue. Do you know why? Because they simply believed that the men of the Old Testament were people of Yahweh, the Lord, and therefore followers of the bad God, the evil God, because this evil God created matter, created the natural world, and due to this, he's an evil God. However, those that rebelled against the followers of the bad God are Cain, Canaan, Esau, Korah, and all the others, the ones that we mentioned. Anyone who rebelled against the God of the Old Testament is a great hero for the Gnostics because they came to oppose the people of God who worshipped the bad God, the creator of matter, the creator of the universe. But pay attention to this. Cain is the father of civilization in the Old Testament. And this is their boast, their pride and joy. The Masons love Cain because he's the man who venture out to search and gain knowledge, civilization. Where Abel and Seth were losers. They were halvadas, as we, as we say in Greek. The Masons don't want them because they are people of faith. Do you understand now the concept, knowledge versus faith? Knowledge turns against faith. But Christ introduced faith, and Judas, by his betrayal, wanted to kill this phenomenon of faith. And he did this to promote knowledge, which was the weapon of the Gnostics. This is why they honored Judas. And moving ahead to the initiation of the 18th degree, which is called the Rosicrucians, there the symbol of the initiation is a cross surrounded or encircled by roses. To someone who has no clue about these matters, this cross may appear most articulate and even beautiful. There's an inscription on this cross with Latin letters, I-N-R-I, and again, someone could think, well, that's easy enough, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. 
or it does not mean this at all. For those outside of masonry, maybe, but not for the Masonic disciple. The teacher says to the 18th degree disciple, read this, I-N-R-I, and the disciple answers, igne natura renovator indegna. Nature is renewed totally through fire. So this cross has nothing to do with Jesus, the Nazarene king of the Jews. But the fire renovates nature completely. But this was a teaching of the Stoic philosophy. This is also taught by materialism. If you would open the small philosophical dictionary of communism, you will find this definition. How does nature renew itself? Nature always existed, exists, and it will always exist as an eternal fire. This is Stoic philosophy. The communist philosophers borrowed this from the Stoics. So this is the cross of the Rosicrucians. There's even more, and I read from the manual. The cross, having been an object of worship, was not only the simple image of the equinoxes, when the sun, during its annual path, covers these two points successively, so this was not the only meaning of the cross for those initiated. So the cross is the symbol of the two equinoxes, and the rose is the most excellent emblem of the woman. It symbolizes the woman, and as the cross symbolizes masculinity or the sun, the rose symbolizes the woman. The cross on Sada, the Egyptian cross, used those jewelry quite often in our days. This cross is like the letter T, lowercase t, and a circle, it has a circle on top. These are the reproductive organs of men. Forgive me, but that's what the Egyptian cross symbolizes. So the cross, according to the Masons, is the symbol of masculinity, or the symbol of the sun, which fertilizes the earth. Osiris was the sun, and Isis, the goddess earth. So the earth is fertilized by the sun, and gives birth to Oran, or men. And this is Egyptian idolatry. This is the cross of the Rosicrucians, which symbolizes masculinity, or the sun, in all its dynamics. The combination of these two symbols, cross and rose, express the union of the sexes, which is the symbol of the universal renaissance or rebirth. Do you remember about the letter G being Genesis, or generation, along with geometry and God? Well, this is what it means. So they have nothing to do with the cross of Christ. Leo Taxil, in his book, Masonry, page 238, writes, My friends, Masonry is Gnosticism beyond a shadow of a doubt. And this is most clear. This is not surprising, then, that the ancient Gnostics worshipped Cain and the ancient serpent. So today's contemporary Masons worship Satan. This is not surprising, but the Masons come and prove us wrong. They worship Satan, and Christ reveals this to us. The Gnostics, according to Leo Taxel, along with today's Masons. 
recognized as the beginning of good, Lucifer, the devil, and as the beginning of all evil, Sabal. Therefore, the God of the Old Testament is the bad God. He introduced evil by creating matter. The devil, Lucifer, is the good spirit, the good God. Isn't this shocking? And thus, they have this prayer for the devil. Come, Lucifer, come. You who the priests slander, come. Come so we can embrace you to hold you tight in our arms. We know you for a long time, and you also know us before a long time as well. In the darkened eyes of the plain masses, your works do not always look beautiful. Your works don't always look good. All you blessed of our hearts. But only these can explain the laws of the universe. Without your works, O Satan, the universe would be nonsensical. Only you revitalize, only you produce work, only you refine the commonwealth. You seal virtue. To you belongs the beginning. To you belongs the throne. You, O Adonai, Adonai is our God, the God of the Old Testament, and they turn against him. You, O Adonai, God of plunder and God of injustice, we deny you. You hate science, but we prevailed and possessed science in spite of you. You hate happiness, but we will earn it through science in spite of you. Each one of our progresses is a triumph under which your divinity is. Spirit of lies and delusion, your kingdom is over. Seek victims among the animals. You already have been destroyed and deteriorated. Your name, which up to now was the last word of the wise, the authority of the judge with the oath, the power of the rulers, the hope of the poor, the refuge of the penitent, the evildoer, your name, which is unutterable for us, from now on it will bring the scorn and the anathema of men. It will be raised and it will be progressively forgotten. It will remain was the synonym of hypocrisy, lies, superstition, tyranny, and misery. Only the devil can talk like this. These people are really demon-possessed, as you can see. As long as humanity continues to bow down before your terrible, monstrous statues, humanity will be the slave of kings, priests. Humanity will suffer and wither. This is why the three virtues, uh, the model of the French Revolution, liberty, equality, and brotherhood, has been said to be of Masonic origin. As long as men will swear in your hateful name, the breaking of the oaths will be the foundation of society. Go away, get lost, O executioner of our logic, menace of our conscience. And here Leo Taxel adds, that the Masons of the 33rd degree kneel in front of Baphomet, a statue of Satan, who is raised above the altar. And he's none other than the great architect of the universe. So the great architect of the universe, Baphomet, is the devil. This is who the Masons worship. And by the way, pay attention here. This is not revealed immediately as the disciples of masonry climb little by little 
and they are approaching the gates of the 33rd degree, which is the last and final degree, then they will become participants to the great secret of masonry. The great secret of masonry, and that's exactly what we're talking about, the great secret of masonry is that the great architect of the universe is the devil. And that's what the Masons need to worship and not the God of the Christians whom the Masons must destroy at all costs. This, my friends, encompasses the deep secrets of Masonry. Again, Masons of the 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th degree, they have no clue about these things. They simply go through some rituals. And if the Masons see that they are not very progressive and uh, you know they are not the type that they want to promote, then they do not promote them. Once again, the deep secrets of Masonry is the worship of the devil and the persecution and the humiliation of the holy triune God of the Christians. And now let's ask ourselves, is it or is it not true what the Lord reveals in his epistle to the Bishop of Thyatira, that this teaching comprises of the deep things of Satan? This is precisely why we dealt with Gnosticism and Masonry. And especially since Masons circulate very freely in our church, especially here in the U.S., they become council members, they join the ranks of the priesthood, and I better not say any more. But my friends, our time is up, and I will close with a couple thoughts. Today, we celebrate the feast day of our holy orthodoxy. And we must come to the realization that we are dealing with a monstrous enemy, masonry, a great enemy indeed. Please open your eyes. The ancient fathers of the church turn against Gnosticism with all their might. Today, we must turn against Freemasonry, the newer manifestation of Gnosticism. In this, We've received much help from the Holy Script of the Book of the Revelation and the revealing statement of the Lord that we are dealing with the depths of Satan. My friends, we should be horrified in the midst of these realities. We must also add that in the event that some uninformed people found themselves in the tantalizing web of masonry, either out of ignorance or delusion, or out of financial need, we are called to ask them and all those future victims to flee quickly from the lodge. We need to help these deluded souls by all means. But the faithful must watch as well. The faithful should not be shaken when these enemies of the church strive with every method to influence people and push their will on the church. The Lord, as the sender of the last epistle to Pergamos, declares, These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. And he foretells and warns his enemies, the Satanists, Repent, or else I am coming to you quickly and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. These are the same words that St. Paul writes for the coming of the Antichrist and his name and the lawless one. Because 
masonry is the forerunner of the Antichrist, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. My friends, Satan is real and is working full time. He's working with the most horrible means against the Church of Christ and especially the Orthodox Church. Let's not forget that Satan has his residence and his throne here on earth. Let's not forget that Satan has his synagogue. Let's not forget that Satan has the deep things of his maliciousness. Knowing all this, let's stand well, let's keep sober and vigilant. Christians. 
the ACLU in 1965, 1965, 1962, forced prayer out of school. Separation, church and state. But we do not have that. It is really separation of Christianity and state. You know why? Because to this day, Muslims could go in the classroom and teach about Mohammedanism. They bring Hindus in, no problem. Not a problem. You can have books of the Quran and uh, Eastern philosophy, humanism in the library. The only book that's illegal in American school libraries is the Bible. The only book in the name of free press. However, now, there's someone else in the classroom of American schools. The homosexual agenda. They are now teaching, teaching our children that gay is okay and normal. And we need to touch on this as well. So the ACLU is a left front that pushes anything anti-Christian down people's throats, any movie that's anti-Christian, not a problem. But the minute Jerry Falwell gets up and he says the Antichrist will be Jewish, all of a sudden this is not free speech, this is anti-Semitism. And the poor guy gets a few phone calls, and he recalls it. He says, oh, I didn't mean that. I know you're going to cut off my loan. <laughs> so I didn't mean that. I'm not anti-Semitic. And this is how they work, with fear, fear tactics. Any preacher that says anything against Israel is sinning. Uh, people for American way. Norman Lear is their president. All they do, all they do, is they videotape Christian preachers all day long. And anybody who goes against them, they destroy them. Radicalism is promoted by the media. See, anything anti-Christian, they're not really interested in gays, they're not interested in these things, 